What's going on, everyone? It's Cole Cruz, and this is the KC at the Movies podcast, episode 103. Uh, thanks for popping in. Now, if you didn't see the YouTube short that I put up, uh, I think about, uh, about a week ago, I said that I wouldn't be making a January video, um, one, because we're in March, and two, because uh, the export of the actual video, which I did record, um, was... Oh, it was just it was just shit house. I don't know what happened to the export, but it was pretty, it was pretty bad, and um, I didn't really feel good in releasing it because the audio was a bit fucked up. Um, I've since then learnt my lessons, so I'm not going to. Um, I'm just not going to worry about doing that, and so instead, I'm just going to uh, do it on this podcast uh, as an extra little bonus podcast uh, for the week. And instead of doing every film that I watched, I'm just going to be talking about. Uh, uh, the best films from the month that I did watch. There's quite a few here, so we're just going to get on with it. Uh, I started the month by my friend and I are doing this uh, Oscar challenge where we are watching every uh, Oscar winner um, from the decade be ending in three. And um, it's proving to be interesting so far. We've seen some really nice movies. Um, some we've liked, some we haven't. This was... Uh, one of them, and it's Lawrence of Arabia. Finally, finally watched uh, Lawrence of Arabia. I actually never had seen it before, so this was a it was a first time for me, um, and I had no idea that it was also a three hour and forty six minute movie uh, with, I believe, an overture, two overtures, and an intermission, uh, an in intermission in the movie itself, um, but. That does not detract the movie from being, honestly, one of the best things I've ever fucking seen. Like, it was absolutely incredible and epic in uh, scope and scale. Um, has some of the best wide shots I've ever seen to put to film. Um, some of the editing uh, was just phenomenal. Um, everyone talks about that cut between the match getting lit and then the horizon of the desert. I mean, that's just iconic. That was iconic when I saw it, finally. And uh, But no one was talking about... Just some of these really, really cool wide shots. And for a film from 1962, I was absolutely blown away by how good this looked. It just goes to show when you have a very talented director like David Lean uh, behind the camera and also with him, uh, Freddie Young, and the lenses, you know, behind, behind the camera, literally. Uh, it just goes to show that you can make a fucking great movie. It doesn't matter what time period it's from. It depends on the talent behind it and the people that are making it. And Lawrence of Arabia was just such an epic story. Um, uh, my biggest praise I can give it is it feels like a vastly epic story. Um, and it's one of the best I've seen on the screen. And yeah, I, I just have nothing really to add in terms of just, it just being everything that I thought it was. It was like better than what I had heard it would it was, it would be a while till I watch it again because it is a very, very long movie, but I wouldn't mind seeing this again in like a special setting, more like a, maybe like a 70 millimeter or a 30 millimeter um, setting uh, at a place like, let's say like the Ritz at Randwick. Um, but yeah, it was, it was incredible. I fucking loved it. Um, it was a great start to our uh, Oscar watch that we're doing at our Academy Awards uh, uh, ending in three, decades ending in three watch that we're doing. Uh, and then I went to the cinema to watch Operation Fortune, Rooster Girl, uh, Guy Ritchie's uh, next film, 
And this is kind of his like return to form, like he did, how he did the gentleman. And um, this was originally called Five Eyes, I believe. And I was very much on this because Aubrey Plaza was uh, cast in this, and and I was very much um, all over it and on it, and uh, very excited by it. And then it was it was getting pushed and pushed, and yeah, it did get hit by uh, you know the pandemic and COVID and and uh, that kind of that really you know, fucked up its release schedule. And I mean, I don't think it's even out in America yet. I think it's coming out in America like now. Um, But we always seem to get these Guy Ritchie movies or anything that uh, Tough Guy Films does, um, his production company. Uh, First, we always get it like a couple of months before America, which is like, you know, a great change from us getting it fucking two two months later. Enough about the release schedule, though. What do I think of the film? Uh, I thought the film was pretty fun. I... I really liked the team that they had. It gave me a lot of uh, Archer vibes. Um, Archer, like the FX animated show. Um, it gave me a lot of like that vibes. I really liked the team that was put together. Um, Carrie Elwes was a great little... Uh, he was a great uh, boss. Uh, he had some funny lines as well. I loved Aubrey Plaza and her um, role as well. And uh, yeah, I just really liked the team. And I would probably watch another movie with these guys. Uh, the, only thing, the only thing I didn't really in like Dilly didn't really think it worked was and this is no offense against Josh Hartnett um you know those Josh Hartnett fans out there don't kill me don't kill me when I say this um but I just think that he was a bit miscast I think and as much as this sounds like a very safe pick but I think it really would have fucking worked um instead of Channing Tatum coming back for like the Lost City for example it would be cool if this was like this like role was like kept under wraps and Channing, Channing Tatum like returned in this movie playing himself. Uh, uh, maybe that, that would have been, I mean, it's part of the main plot, so maybe not would have worked out, but I, I don't know. I, I, th- I thought that could have been cool if uh, he returned in this movie instead and played like a version of himself. And again, no offense against Josh Hartnett. I'm just, I just thought it was a bit miscast and I didn't really think he worked for this role. Um, but that's just me. Like I said, I enjoyed the film. Uh, some cool action sequences. Uh, it's funny, that Guy Ritchie humor. If you're a fan of it, if you're not, that's fine. Um, and I'll probably watch a second movie if they were to do another one uh, with these characters. But uh, Guy Ritchie is not really known for doing sequels. Um, I think his next movie is like this war movie with Jake Gyllenhaal or something, I'm pretty sure. I'm not too sure what the name is, but uh, I like when he does movies like this, when he does it in that, in that you know, that classic Guy Ritchie vein. Not like something like... Uh, what was it? The uh, the Hollow Man or the the Dead Man or the one which, actually, I see. I've I've already forgotten it. The one with Jason Statham, and he does like shit for Disney and all that stuff. Just I like when he does his uh, Guy Ritchie thing, and and uh, I'm glad he. Uh, we had we had a fun time. I'll say this: we had a fun time in the cinema. Um, and then I've never had a chance to talk about this actually, um, but I've been talking to everyone about it. Uh, I watched Puss in Boots: The Last Wish. Uh, the animated film that everyone was raving about last year, um, you know, along with Marcel Shell Shoes on and Pinocchio as well. But this was the one that everyone was raving about um, when, because they didn't really see this happening. They didn't really see this this coming, that uh, Puss in Boots was going to be one of the best movies of the year. Um, a Puss in Boots sequel was going to be the best, one of the best movies of, of the year. Uh, I... <laughs> I did not see it coming. And then I watched it on my own. And then I watched it for myself. And I was like, oh my fucking God, they're right. 
Like, this is fucking incredible, man. Like, this is amazing. Like, story, animation. Look, animation's fantastic. And, and uh, in, I can sing praises and songs about the animation all, day, all days of the week. Um, you know, it, it's like uh, very much inspired by films like Spider-Verse. And look, that's not going to be... An, that's not going to be a new word for everyone or a new phrase. People have been using that comparison a lot with this film. But it's not just that. It uses a lot of different animation styles, especially during the ac- action sequences, which are absolutely phenomenal, by the way, and so well-drawn and choreographed. Um, the the wolf played by Wagner Mora. Uh, yes. Yes. I'm, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of that, of that wolf. <laughs> Every time you heard that whistle... It was, uh, shit's about to go down. Like, hell yeah. Um, but I also really like the story with Puss in this movie as well. Um, Pareto is a, is a very cute, uh, is a cute side character. But the story with him and Pareto and, uh, 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 Kitty Softpaws, um, especially the, the whole theme of, uh, legacy, uh, with, um, with Puss and the, I guess the philosophy of the nine lives that he has and not to waste them. Uh, well, he really has only got one life left because that's what the film is about. The, the plot is about him finding the last, this, uh, this wishing star. So he could wish for uh, his nine lives back or, you know, um, wish for an extra life. But the journey that Puss goes on for in the film uh, is, it's just something I would never expect from uh, DreamWorks and especially expect from a Puss in Boots movie because I watched the original before I watched this one and I, you know, it's it's kind of mid. Like, I, I kind of, I watched it and I was kind of like, okay, yeah, there's some fun stuff in there, but it is just, it just does just feel like a spinoff to, you know, the Shrek movies. And then I watched Puss in Boots The Last Wish and I'm like, who the fuck, what, what did they do at DreamWorks to make this happen? Were they like, was everyone just on LSD that day? Or did everyone just have like a hat they tossed around? My friend said it best. It sounds like they had a hat with like all their properties in the hat. And they said, all right, we need to choose one movie that we're going to go off tits with. We're going to, we're going to choose one movie or one, uh, you know, IP that we own that we're just going to go completely off tits with animation-wise and fucking work our hardest on and put effort into it and make it amazing. Um, and then the fucking paper said, put some boots. And <laughs> and then that's what happened. Off tits, they did. Off tits. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. Went bananas with this shit. Uh, if you haven't seen Puss in Boots of the Last Wish yet, uh, what are you doing? What are you doing listening to this? Get in the car. Or you're probably getting sitting in the cinemas anymore. It's probably not playing anymore. But I don't know. Go to your TV. Uh, find the rental programs that, you, you know, that you've got, the rental channels. I'm not saying programs like an old man. Rental channels, rental apps. And get that shit. Download Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. And I'm telling you, you would not waste the next... 90 minutes of your life. You will not You will not waste it. I kind of want them to not make a sequel. I kind of don't want a sequel to this one. And I kind of just want this to be a one-off and this, and like have this like really weird kind of follow-up to this like really mid spin-off and then just have this fucking amazing animated film that's been nominated for an Academy Award for fuck's sake. 
Uh, <laughs> wow. Un- absolutely unprecedented. I would never have seen it coming. Um, and goddamn, I love being so pleasantly surprised by something like this. Uh, so yeah, go see it. I reckon definitely big recommendations for Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. Uh, and then on the other animation uh, side, I watched uh, Marcel the Shovel Shoes on. I went and saw this. This was playing at the Ritz. I just mentioned the Ritz before Randwick. Uh, this was playing at the Ritz. And in recently, uh, and recently in February, I also did a movie night with Marcel the Shovel uh, Shoes on. So having seen it twice now, um, I could have said that this would have been on my recommendations uh, or, or uh, rather my uh, honorable mentions from last year. Probably one of my top 10. I'm probably, that's probably probably staying solid still but marcel would have been um in the honorable mentions as well i mean as well as fucking puss and boots puss and boots might have actually been in the top 10 let's be honest here um but marcel the shell with shoes on wow uh what a great wholesome film great wholesome film so well animated very fucking funny holy shit it was funny i've never uh, one of the funniest movies I saw, if I were to see it again last year, that would have been one of the funniest movies I did see last year. Um, Jenny Slate was fan-fucking-tastic as uh, Marcel. It was so well-directed by um, Dean Flasher Camp, written by uh, Jenny Slate, Dean Flasher Camp. And uh, I believe Flasher Camp edited this as well, um, which was very impressive. Um, yeah, it was great in the cinema. I nearly fucking cried when I watched this in the cinema. I really cried. Uh, because I love the whole notion of like finding the family and everything, but it was also like it was so wholesome, but it was also very sad, very real at the same time, existential even. And look, it does play on those themes, and Marcel does mention that stuff, but it doesn't stop it from being such a very um, emotional movie and a great journey for just a fucking shell. A movie about shells nearly made me cry, like a like a little boy. And I again, I couldn't recommend it more. Um, another movie I recommend, another animated movie I recommend here, Marcel Lachelle with shoes on. Um, do yourself a favor. Watch it. Another nominee. It's going to be so hard picking a winner for the Animated Academy Award this year. I mean, it's probably going to go to Pinocchio, let's be honest. But it wouldn't be cool to go to, like, Puss in Boots. Or... Uh, I think The Sea Beast was nominated from Netflix, which I haven't seen yet. I heard The Sea Beast was pretty good, but I haven't actually seen The Sea Beast. Um, But that was nominated, wasn't it? The Sea Beast. Marcel. Marcel was nominated too. So I would... It's going to be hard picking a winner. It is going to be hard picking a winner for the uh, the, uh, Animated Academy Award. And we'll be talking about that more on uh, this week's official podcast. Um, Like I said, this one's kind of a bit of a spinoff, but... Uh, this week's official podcast will be on the Academy Awards, my final picks and predictions on those, and we'll be talking about uh, the animated films uh, when we get around to it. But anyway, that's Marcel. That's another recommendation from me. Do check it out. And then uh, I checked out a movie on Peacock. Um, Sick. And before I get onto the film itself, I just want to talk about the team behind it. Uh, The director, John Hyams, I haven't seen any of the films that he has done um, before, but after seeing this i want to check out the rest of his work but this is written by kevin williamson who and if you don't know who kevin williamson is kevin williamson is the writer of i believe it's the first three screen movies i don't know if he did he write the fourth one i'm not too sure someone flag check me on that one um but kevin williamson legendary writer of the screen movies uh has come back 
to the slasher genre to write sick. And it's a slasher that takes place during the COVID-19 pandemic. If that premise isn't interesting enough for you to check out this film, then I really don't think you would uh, you get you're gonna like it because I think it's a pretty interesting premise and that's why I checked it out. Also, I mean, I, I just love slasher movies as well, but the way they play with uh, the pandemic, um, I thought was pretty interesting, and it's really really used greatly towards the end of the movie as well, which I won't spoil. But there's a great scene towards the end of the film which. Um, uses the uh, the current setting pretty well and pretty um, pretty effectively, I think. I thought it was a tight, solid little thriller. I believe it's only like 90 minutes as well, or maybe it's 100 minutes, I'm not too sure. Uh, but uh, it flew by for me. That's, that's, that's saying something. There you go. It flew by for me. I liked performances. Uh, I liked the tension. Uh, the choreography during the fight scenes or the whip pan kind of fight scenes uh, throughout, I thought were very cool. Um, and it really kept the energy of the film going as well. Um, there's some really cool chase scenes as well with this this kind of whip pan cinematography, this like tracking shots and all, all that stuff. I, I thought all of that was really cool. And like I said, it was just very tense. And I, I thought it was good. I didn't think it was a waste of time. If you want a, a cool slasher with a nice little uh, interesting premise to it, uh, sick. Uh, it's currently playing on Peacock. And then I checked out the bawdy and debaucherous Babylon. Damien Chazelle's follow-up to La La Land's The Man Behind, Whiplash, and the aforementioned La La Land. This is his follow-up to La La Land. Babylon. Uh, this was actually in my, um, if you've been listening to the podcast, this was in my top 10 anticipated for 2022, I think. I think it was for the top 10 anticipated 2022. And it was like my number eight or nine or something around there. I don't really have the list with me anymore, but I think it was around that number. Um, and after seeing the film, I've only seen it once. I do want to see it again. Um, after seeing it once, I'm, I'm kind of conflicted on it. I'm, I'm, it's a very, it's a film with, it's a film with a lot. And there's a lot going on. Within the first 30 minutes of the film, uh, so much has happened that I won't spoil. So much has come out of people's bodies. Uh, so much has, so much things have happened. So much things have come out of people's bodies, and that's in the first thirty minutes. Like I said, and then you have another two and a half hours because this thing is three hours and nine minutes long. And um, I just don't know what Giselle was trying to say with the film. My main critique from it. My, name, my main takeaway from this one is I just don't know if Chazelle loved movies or he fucking hates movies now or if La La Land was his love letter to Hollywood. This is like his hate letter to Hollywood. Um, and I really don't know how I feel about it. Uh, I think I lean more into liking it just because of the, the huge swing that Chazelle took with this film. Um, again, especially with all the things that happen with the characters. I will say Margot Robbie gives a great performance in this movie. One of my favorites of hers, actually. Um, like, really, does she let us down? And she's always great, but she really gives, I think, one of my great, one of my favorite performances of hers. As um, I think it's Nellie. Her name is Nellie in the film. Uh, she was so good. Brad Pitt, or always, as always, is great. Loved him in this movie as well. But yeah, where this movie goes, man, is just bizarre. <laughs> Is the best I can describe it. Is it's just really fucking bizarre. 
and I am I was fascinated by it by watching it. It's been a while since I had seen it in the cinema. Um, since I have seen it, it's been a while since I have seen it in the cinema. But uh, you know, it comes to me every now and then, and I do want to watch it again. I think I'm going to wait to the Blu-ray. The Blu-ray is coming out soon, so I think I want to check out the Blu-ray, check out the behind the scenes, everything like that. Um, I think I mentioned that I want to do a podcast on it, but what I might do is I might wait till the Blu-ray comes out and then kind of explore it more when, with the Blu-ray and see, just fucking see what Giselle was really trying to say with this movie because there's got to be a message. Like, why make a three-hour movie about this, the movie industry and how it just sucks everyone up? And there's, but there's more to it. No, there's like there's got to be more to it. It's like a mystery they want to crack. Um, so I'm fascinated by it. I love, I hate it. <laughs> I loved it. I hated it. I, I think I mostly liked it though. I'll just say this. I, I think I mostly liked it, but I'm also like, wh- why? <laughs> why and what? I don't know. That's, that's Babylon. It's a wild movie. It's a wild movie. Um, do check it out. I don't know if it's still playing in cinemas. I think it'd be out by now for sure. Um, unless they bring all the Oscar movies back, it might come back. But I mean, it's probably not playing anymore. Uh, but if you were to check out, check it out. If it comes to like any streaming services, I did not waste my time with it. I'll say this: I didn't waste my time with it. I really didn't feel the pace of it either. My friend really did feel the pace, um, but I really didn't really feel the pace of it. I'm just like, I think it's a well-paced movie, and it's just, but there's just, it's just a lot going on. There's a lot going on. Uh, yeah, that's that's my thoughts on Babylon. I I, I don't know if that was cohesive, but uh, that those are my thoughts. Um, and then uh, one of the big ones I want to talk about is uh, Tar. Uh, it's uh, written and directed by Todd Field. It stars Kate Blanchett, um, Naomi Melant from uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. And it's about a woman named Lydia Tarr. She's a uh, maestro composer that, uh, you know, she's very, very well known. She's very famous. She's very accomplished. And she, it just kind of goes through this area in her life, this time in her life when she's putting together this, um, I think this tribute, I mean, I don't know really what to call, uh, what it was called, but it was like this tribute to this person, this other composer, Leonard Moulton, and um, she's putting it on at this uh, Bolin Orchestra, and that's uh, that's the best I can describe it. Just it, it, It's just about this time in her life when she's going through this, and then she gets hit by something very unexpected where a student has accused her of of an inappropriate relationship that they had and uh, abuse of power that uh, Lydia put on her. I, I don't know how to say it um, very cohesively, but that's just really what it's about. That's the plot of the film. But it's really about a lot more than that. Um, this film is fascinating, very fascinating. I love how it's presented in like a biopic kind of way, but it really is not a biopic because Lydia Tart does not exist. Um, and Kate Blanchett really sinks her teeth into this role, like really sinks her teeth into this role. I fucking loved her performance and I can see why she was getting like all these uh, nominations and, and, and award recognition and recognition for this performance because this is probably 
my favorite performance of hers. Um, I think it's a career best, and uh, she really, really became this character. I, I thought she was great. Um, not only was she just effective in the way that she dramatically plays Lydia, but her vulnerability as Lydia as well um, was just so fascinating to watch. Um, I mean, we can talk about apartment for sale, that scene. We can talk about the scene where they're trying to sell the house and everything, which takes place right before the apartment for sale scene. Um, and just everything that goes on inside her mind, it's so fascinating to see Lydia, like her mind tick during this film. And we can, we can talk about the opening scene with, with the New Yorker interview um, and the way Blanchette does that whole entire monologue um, was just fantastic. It was just, uh, wow. It was fantastic to see. I unfortunately only got, got to see this on digital at first because we didn't get this until the end of January. So when it finally came out um, in Australian cinemas, I had to go. I knew I had to go and really get into this movie because this is also like a very long film as well, about almost two and a half hours long. And there's just a lot going on. There's a lot going on in the film. And uh, it's so beautifully shot by uh, Florian Hofmeister, who has been nominated, been nominated for any, uh, who has been nominated for Academy Award coming Monday um, at the Oscars. And I don't know, I for one think he should get it. Um, yeah, there's some really nice looking movies in that category, but I just think, I just think Florian has done a bang up job with, uh, with Tar and Todd Phil's direction, man. Like, um, the Juilliard scene, the Juilliard class scene, how, how that's shot, how that's, I mean, how that's edited really. There's really no edit because it's just a fucking amazing one take. There's so many Groot, there's so many beautiful and amazing long takes in this movie, but that does not discount the editing in this film because the second time I went to see this um, in the cinema was when I really noticed um, Monica Willis's editing, uh, especially during the first half of the film. She really knows when to let scenes really breathe and the montages are just aced, especially the one, I think it was in the first 15 minutes of the movie. If it's either during the New York interview um, where it cross cuts from that to the montage or when she's setting up everything before she goes to the Berlin Orchestra. Um, it's just like, oh man, it's just so, it's such a nice package. And I don't know, it really got me in a certain way. It really got me in a certain way because I'm like nothing like Lydia, <laughs> nothing like Lydia but being a creative person and um, having those struggles that she had, internal struggles, mind, uh, mental struggles that she has with herself, I have that on the daily and it's not fun. And you want to prove yourself more and more. Um, when you make something, you want to make the thing that beats that other thing. How are you going to top yourself? That's a constant question with, I think, with people like Lydia uh, like myself and others who are fellow creatives. And again, I'm not saying I'm on her level, um, but creatives like myself, we, I tend to ask myself that question about like, okay, how am I going to do, how am I going to do this better? How much, how, how, this is not good enough. There's a lot of imposter syndrome involved as well, which is again, fun. Um, but not really, <laughs> but I always ask myself, I'm like, how am I going to top this? How am I going to make this even better? How is this going to be 
I'm always asking myself like, oh, is that the best I can do? Okay, what is the next thing I can do? Let's make that the best thing. Um, and then you just constantly have to top yourself every now and then. It's look, it's like I said, it's a fun, it's a fun thought process. Um, but that's just how it is. And I think I really understood that with uh, Lydia Tarr and with the end of the film as well, when uh, all that, I don't want to spoil it, but like all that stuff goes down and how it's resolved. Um, again, I'm not nowhere near that in terms of being that kind of person. I'm not, wouldn't say I'm like destructive towards others, but I, I don't know. I kind of sympathized with what she was going through. So I really like, I don't know. It, it's, it was, it was weird. It was, it was really weird. I, I connected a lot with uh, this character and I hadn't had that experience at all last year. Um, I had the experience with characters and with stories and, and uh, all that, but one, one singular character um, this is why, which I, why I wish I saw Ty last year, but again, we just didn't, we didn't get it. But one singular character that I understood on like almost like a cellular level. Um, but again, which I wanted to know more about cause I was so fascinated by the character and how, by the way, she was written as well. Yeah. I think I was just blown away. I was just absolutely blown away by this movie. Um, it might've been in my top five. If if I were to watch this last year, it might have been in my top five. But uh, if that doesn't give you a recommendation of this film, there it is. That's your recommendation to see Tar, um, to see Kate Blanchett. As much as I love Michelle Yeoh and her performance in Everything Ever All at Once, I would like Kate to take it. Really, that would be my my pick. But uh, I, I I'd be happy if any of those ladies took it. To be honest, but. Kate will probably be my pick for because um, she was definitely the best uh, female performance that I saw uh, from the movies that got released last year. And uh, Tar, seeing it again, made it even better. Um, i got to get the Blu-ray. And I'm saying that, getting old. That's getting old, but uh, i got to get the Blu-ray. It, uh, I can't wait to see like behind the scenes of this stuff and how everything was made. Watch some B-roll on YouTube as well. Um because that's a great way. Uh, what I want to shout out as well, it's a great way of seeing behind the scenes of a film. If you just look up a film and then type B-roll afterwards on YouTube, and I've been doing this for years, but if you didn't know about this, you can actually kind of see how a film is made and, and a lot of behind the scenes of stuff, uh, how a scene is shot without you seeing it, I guess, in frame. Um, you're seeing all the behind the scenes stuff. Just look up a film. And just type in B-roll afterwards. And they usually go for about 20 minutes. And they're, and they're kind of cut like takes as well. But it's very interesting to watch. And if you want to see the kind of outside of a film, yeah, just look at some B-roll on uh, YouTube. And I believe Tar would have some B-roll that I do want to see. Um, and lastly, I want to talk about Inside Lewin Davis. I've seen a lot of the Coen Brothers films, but I had never actually seen Inside Lewin Davis. And it has been recommended to me quite a few times um, by a few friends, especially uh, my housemate that I'm currently living with, loves the film. And I think it was either the uh, the story or um, I guess the mood it puts you in because it's very depressing. <laughs> it's a very depressing movie. 
And I went through a lot of shit last year, as uh, you would vaguely know. Um, last year was uh, hashtag not my year. I don't think I would have been in the right headspace to watch this film, but I don't know. I chucked it on the other night and uh, finally got to watching it. And that's the thing. I love Oscar Isaac. I love the Coens. I love these type of stories. I have no plot and you kind of just follow a character. And I don't know why I haven't seen it before. And I I finished it. And if you don't know what the story is about, there's really no plot. But it is about a guy named Lewin, Lewin Davis. He is a folk singer. He used to be part of a folk duo. He is since out of that folk duo. And he's kind of working on his own. Like he's um, couch surfing, sleeping into people's different places, perform, performing at different venues, and just wanting to be better, um, a better musician and trying to sell his work. And that's pretty much what the movie is, but it not really is, it's not really what the movie is because there's a lot more stuff going on uh, in the film, especially with Lewin. And Oscar Isaac's like really very subtle, understated portrayal of him. And that's a lot of, that's a thing we don't talk about with films, understated performances. Because they, to me, those are the most effective ones. I love a good, like, loud performance, like a good Leo performance or a good Al Pacino performance every now and then. Um, Helena Bottom Carter comes to mind as well. But I love understated performances. My favorite performance from 2016 was, was the winner of the Oscar, Casey Affleck, from Manchester by the Sea because of how subtle and understated that performance was. The, in, the internal kind of uh, battle characters have to themselves. And the emotions that they choose not to display, but want to display, and just it, you can just see the cl- the uh, the cogs turning inside the character's head, especially when an actor can do that really, really well. And Oscar Isaac, to me, did that for his character of of, of Lewin Davis because there's just a lot going on. Lewin's a very flawed character; he's very, he's a very gray character. And again, I love morally gray characters. They're so interesting, and especially if they're written really well, they are, can be very fascinating people. Um, and yeah, I finished the film, and I was like, "That's that was good. That was good." Like I, I, I was like, "It's not as great as everyone's saying it is," but like you know, I, I thought that was good. I thought it was pretty decent. But then something happened. I couldn't stop fucking thinking about it for weeks, man. For weeks, I couldn't stop thinking about this film. And the emotions and the themes, and especially the emotions that it left me, but the themes I was thinking about as well. And then I started liking folk music. Um, like I haven't hated folk music, but it really hasn't been my jam, really. Um, but I liked all of the songs from the movie. I've played them since, um, like on Spotify and everything. Um, I've listened to more folk music and it just did something to me. It did a number. It it really just did a number on me. Um, I love the line that uh, Lewin says, I think he says it to Eva Carrie Mulligan's character, when he says, uh, you know, I, I thought I needed a, a good night's sleep, but it's more than that. Um, that. That line has so many ripple effects and especially into how I was feeling last year as well. Um, in terms of what I went through and, and how I felt. Um, because that really what is what depression is. It's it's not just this like sad all the time and, um, you know, uh, it's not so obvious to people. It's not so obvious. And sometimes that is what it feels like. Like you just want to keep sleeping. Um, 
like you, you can have a sleep, but then you'd be, you'd be tired afterwards and you wouldn't really want to do anything. Um, well, I've, de- I've been depressed many, I wouldn't say like heaps of times, but I've been depressed a few times now. And it, this film really does capture that really, really well. Um, and especially, again, the internal struggle of depression. I think it ta- captures that really well and it captures that very maturely. And it's so effective because it lives in your brain after the viewing and it doesn't go away. <laughs> um, much like depression. No. Um, yeah. I really, really, really liked this movie. Um, like I said, I couldn't stop thinking about it. If you have, if you have like the time and if you have the resolve, I guess, if you're not going through anything at the moment, if you think you're good for it, because it is a heavy film in certain ways. And again, like I said, in its themes, please do give it a watch. Uh, it is, it's very good. It's a very, I think that was like the word I was thinking of. I was like, that was just, that was very good. That was the word I was thinking of after it finished. But then I was like, that was fucking great when I was like thinking about it last week, for example, and I watched this two months ago. So, Inside Lewin Davis. Um, <laughs> inside. So, Inside Lewin Davis. Uh, phenomenal. I wonder if I can get this on Blu-ray and uh, watch it. Because I had to watch it on a streaming service and I wonder if I can get it looking better. Because the way it's cinematography was, sometimes the streaming copies uh there it's very i don't know it just it just i don't like it sometimes um i don't know what it is but i I just don't like it it might be just the quality it might be the compression it might be the way it is on the service but when you watch it on a blu-ray it's just so much better man it's just so much better um so i'm hoping maybe the way it was shot as well um didn't really help like, I'm not saying that it was shot really badly, but it wasn't. I was also expecting it not to be shot like that, and it kind of uh, put me off at first. But um, yeah, it does, doesn't dist- it doesn't subtract from the film that I saw and the, and and the message that it got to me and what it did to me, um, did for me, I should say as well. Uh, yeah, Inside Lewin Davis, do check it out. One of my big recommendations from the month, Inside Lewin Davis. And I think that's going to do it, guys. Uh, thank you so much for listening to this little January roundup, kind of uh, belated January roundup. I will uh, put this out this week, and I will do a Oscars podcast as well with my picks and predictions for next week's. Uh, it's Sunday in America, but it's going to be Monday in Australia, Monday the 13th of March, the 95th Academy Awards are taking place. And this week, you'll be hearing my picks and predictions uh, my final picks and predictions. We just had the SAGs. We just also had the WDGAs, I'm pretty sure, yesterday, the WGAs. And um, I think I'm ready. I think I'm ready to make some picks. I'm ready to uh, to make my choices. So uh, that'll also be out this week. And uh, hopefully we'll be filming the February video this week as well. But again, like I said, but again, like I say all the time, I'm going to be letting you know all about that on my Instagram, Kyle underscore Cruz. Check it out. That is where you're going to get all the updates. I also do a few YouTube shorts. I'm thinking about doing a few. I'm also thinking about doing a few YouTube shorts for updates as well. The other one, I was pretty happy with the other one that I did mentioning this. So uh, I might continue to do that as well. And like, and the February video will be up on uh, the YouTube 
And uh, yeah, the February video should be coming soon. Um, for streaming as well, uh, I'm hoping to stream maybe Thursday night. I was going to stream tomorrow night, but I'm also thinking about going to see After Sun in the cinema. And um, I've got some... That movie and I, we're unresolved. I'm not done with that movie just yet, even though this is the probably the fourth time I'm seeing it. I'm not done with that movie yet. So uh, I've got some things, <laughs> some things to work out there. Um, so I probably will stream on Thursday. I'll release a schedule soon. Again, that'll go up on the Instagram, Kyle underscore Cruise. Um, that is where you're going to get all the updates and everything that's going to be happening um, around the podcast, the stream, the vids, just uh, this whole space in general. So uh, once again, thanks for listening. Stay safe, be well, and um, I'll catch you in the next one.